Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Across the Bifrost. I'm your host, Sung Soo. Today, Pat and I are going to be talking about the recently spoiled Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight from Atomic Mass Games. Before we dive into that, though, I do want to mention Discount Games Incorporated and Muse on Minis. Discount Games Incorporated still open, still shipping product at the maximum allowed discount price. You can check them out at discountgamesinc.com. Also, museonstore.com for high-quality gaming accessories made by gamers for gamers. They're currently running a 35% off sale. It's a great time to stock up on some terrain, so when we come out of this pandemic, you have an amazing table to play on. And thank you all so much for listening. Uh, be sure to check out patreon.com slash across the Bifrost for the latest of what's going on, and if you're able to support us financially, we really appreciate it. Helps keep the lights on. All right, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Pat about Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight. Cue that intro music. Somewhere across the Bifrost, way up high, On the line now from across the pond, we have my dear friend Pat Dunford. Pat, how are you doing? Everyone healthy? So far, so good, son. Thank you very much. Um... I've just got back from my evening exercise. I realized that my uh, activity uh, during lockdown had crashed to abysmal levels, so I'm now forcing myself to get up and be active every day. And as a result, I guess I am pretty healthy. Thank you for asking. Excellent. That's good to hear. Um, Yeah, I was doing a lot of push-ups at first, uh, but that doesn't help terribly with cardiovascular. So I've been doing like jumping jacks or other things inside the house. I actually busted out my jump rope this past weekend. We had like an obstacle course for my kids to try to, you know, in the backyard. Uh, so, so I did the race too. I won, but I was way more out of breath than I'd like to admit uh, competing with my 11 year old daughter. Uh, I'm imagining now the uh, stereotypical competitive dad who beats his kids in their competition and then rubs it in their faces. Is that you? I didn't rub it in their faces, but yeah, they, they still have to remember that dad for short periods of time can be faster than them because the one thing Pat is like, this is, this is fleeting. Like I know I only have this for a little while longer. Yeah. A few more years. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I did want to take a minute and, uh, for anyone who missed the update on Patreon, uh, discord's obviously going, it's very popular. It's one of the great ways that we've been able to kind of stay involved in Marvel, uh, since obviously we're playing less games and today we're actually going to be releasing, uh, our monthly public after the credit scene. And we're going to be talking about how we've kind of changed the way we're playing Marvel, uh, with the pandemic that's going on. So, uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, if you are interested though, patreon.com slash across the buy for us, you get episodes a week early, you get our small bonus episode every week and some other perks as well. So check the Patreon out, uh, let us know what you think about it. And it really helps keep the lights on. Um, okay, so AMG is obviously, I'm sorry, Atomic Mass Games, if you don't know, that's AMG, has halted releases, uh, but they've given us some new content, and Proxima and Corvus have actually released in a few parts of the world due to some weird uh, shipping dynamics, which I, I really don't understand the full ins and out of, but they are officially publicly released, even though uh, I at least can't get them in the US. Pat, do you know anyone in the UK who's gotten them? No one in the UK. I saw one of my buddies in Belgium. Uh, Tommy Guns uh, had his uh, models and painted them up already. And he got them from his friendly local gaming store. Um, and as soon as I saw he had them, I went out and excitedly checked all of the UK retailers and was very disappointed to discover that none of them have the models in stock. So I do think it's a few select countries that have been lucky enough to receive the models. 
Right. And again, I don't understand it. I know that the world's really weird right now with COVID and shipping. So I understand that something like this would happen, but it does allow us to talk about Proxima, uh, Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about them. We've got two characters who are more linked than any we've dealt with before, right? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Corvus and Proxima are actually husband and wife in the comics and probably in the MCU, though they never directly addressed that. Uh, they were in the MCU, but didn't get a ton of time. Uh, they were the people that attacked Vision in uh, Edinburgh. So, Pat, uh, where do you think we should start? Hmm. So I think let's start with the character cards, um, and let's just begin with Corvus Glaive. I think for these characters, um, I think let's just summarize what their card does, try and cover it all as quickly as possible, and then talk a bit about why they're awesome. So Corvus Glaive, he is a four threat character. Um, he has six health, and he has three, three, three defensive stats, so three in every kind of defense. Not a great start, I'll be honest. Um, his attacks, he has a range 2 5 dice strike with a wild pierce, which is perfectly serviceable. Good attack. He's got Atom Splitter, which is a range 4 power 4 energy attack, uh, which is nothing special, but maybe it's useful if you need it in a pinch. And then his signature move is his Death Blow, which is a range 3 7 dice attack, but does cost a whopping 4 power. Um, and it has two special rules. It lets him make a advanced medium after the attack is resolved, and it has wild flurry. And flurry is an incredibly good wild result, right? It lets you make a strike attack after um, your death blow attack, just like Valkyrie and Okoye both have the flurry rule, and it is superb. Yeah, it's definitely one of the reasons that I had Valkyrie in my uh, popular tier. If you haven't checked out our hero rankings video, check that out. Um, it's extremely powerful, and similar to like we talked about it in the Wakanda episode, there are all sorts of ways to give you re-rolls. Having seven dice base, the odds of getting a flurry are actually pretty decent for him. Yes, pretty good. But so far with Corvus Glaive, everything we've said about him, he's actually looking pretty similar to Valkyrie, except he's one more threat. So there's got to be a bit more to it than that. Um, his superpowers are good. He's got Glaive's Edge, which is an active power. It costs three and it lets him count blanks as successes during his strike or death blow attacks. So this is potentially a lot of extra damage. I know Jacob from Pro um, Xavier Protocol, someone that we mentioned many times in the podcast, did the maths on this, and it does add up to a lot. Like a five dice strike that counts blanks is equivalent to around seven dice or more on average damage. And remember, this is a strike that gives you power for um, damage you deal. And death blow, it's going to go even more. So a seven dice death blow counting blanks is going to be up there at around nine or ten dice, which is a lot of potential damage. Yeah, I do also want to mention real quick, uh, I actually like Glaive's Egg with Strike as well, right? Just to gain that extra power. Uh, obviously, damage is power, but but I, I definitely think it's worth considering if you're striking, uh, if you're trying to follow it up with another uh, expenditure of an attack, especially the way that the flurry works, right? Yeah, there's a massive difference, right, in how you use Glaive's Edge with the two different attacks, because Glaive's Edge Strike costs three, but will be fund you some amount of power. So you're likely to break even and might even get ahead on the result. So it's certainly, it's a, a good damage attack at a very low power cost. Um, whereas Glaive's Edge with Death Blow costs seven power and doesn't refund any, but it does a huge amount of damage. No, absolutely. 
Um, then on top of that, um, his other powers, and I think we're saving the best for last here. Uh, we've got husband of Proxima Midnight. She has a, uh, a mirrored power to this, and both the powers are functioning the same. But what it says is, at the end of this character's activation, if it's within range four of an allied Proxima Midnight, this character may use the superpower. The superpower costs zero power. And if the allied Proxima Midnight uh, does not have an activated token, she may activate before the turn ends. So it means at the end of his turn, Corvus uses this power, and then Proxima Midnight can activate immediately. Um, in exactly the same way that we've seen with the Follow Me Tactics card already in the game. Yeah, and this is like the, when, when we talked about them being incredibly linked in the beginning, this is like the oh wow moment. Uh, it's incredibly powerful, and I and I really think that this is the reason that Corvus is for threat, right? He, I, I think we talked about this off camera, so to speak. He kind of pays the tax for them to have this innate follow-up ability built in, right? Yes, he does. I think... Looking at him without this ability, he's pretty weak as four threat characters go. Uh, but with with it, it's very, very strong. Proxima is three threat. She is quite a good three threat character. And I think he would be quite a good three threat character. Um, but together, they pay like a collective one point that is on this model because of this power. Is that how you see it? Yep, absolutely. And I think it might be best if we circle back and we talk about this superpower a little yeah. more after we finish both the individual characters, right? Agreed. So his last two powers, two and eight powers, he's got Glaive of Immortality, which is excellent. It's functionally the same as Invincible Iron Man. It's when this character would suffer damage from an enemy effect, reduce the amount suffered by one to a minimum of one. A uh, huge survivability boost. And he's got Gem Bearer for the Reality Gem and the Time Gem. We don't yet know what the reality gem will do, no doubt something wacky, uh, but the time gem is in this pack, so we'll talk about it as well a bit later in the episode. Yeah, so just looking at Corvus himself, we kind of already talked about four threat and the cost of it, uh, excuse me, and the cost of uh, the linked activation. We've said that he kind of most uh, easily and readily compares himself to other three threat characters, but Pat, like, what do you think of Corvus in general? So I think he is solid. But um, he's, hmm. So what do I think? I think he's got six health on either side of his card. Mediocre defenses, but Glaive of Immortality is superb. Um, I love Iron Man for Vincible Iron Man, and this is the same. So I think he is pretty tough. Like, it's, you just so often only take one damage from attacks when you have a minus one damage effect. And with six health, that's going to make him very, very survivable. Um, and then his attacks are all good, but the challenge is they're quite short range. Um, and the movement he has is only medium and he doesn't have any kind of charge effect. So if he has enough power to do a death blow as his opening move at range three, move in and then maybe do a strike, that's going to be a really effective turn. But I think he might struggle in the early parts of the game. Uh, like his first turn is likely just going to be a double move. And his second turn, he might just have to settle for a move followed by a strike. And that's a pretty underwhelming pair of turns. Yeah, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole real quickly here. And I think that if you do build a Corvus Glaive list, and I'm excited to do that, you really have to ensure you're going to be able to control priority. And the reason I think that's imperative is I think exactly what you said. I think you're going to have to move Corvus late and know that you're going to be able to activate him before anyone else does, if that makes sense. 
because just like you said, he's going to struggle to get a lot of use out of the same round he moves up to engage things, right? He doesn't have those kind of staples that we've talked about before, which is a charge, which we when we say charge, we refer to anything that combines movement with an attack, right? Outside of mm-hmm. death blow, he doesn't have anything that does that. He doesn't have a flight or wall crawler, so he is actually very punished by terrain. We talk about that. We talk about that in the wonderful episode with uh, the doc, the good doctor. And then he doesn't have any way to interact with the terrain, like you said. He doesn't have a throw or anything like that. Uh, even pushes or pulls, right? So, really, in my head, if we're going to make a list around Corvus, he's got to be able to spend your last activation moving up to engage stuff. He's got to be able to survive one or two enemy activations and hopefully with glaive of immortality that's possible and then you need to activate him first and start just kind of laying down the hurt after that so i think that's a very reliable game plan especially early in the game because glaive of immortality is very good um and even if the worst case scenario happens and he does get dazed well you can still activate him early and he'll have a lot of power and he is incredibly good at converting power into damage because of Glaive's Edge plus Death Blow, he can push out an obscene amount of damage if he's got a lot of power to spend. Yeah, he's also an interesting character for field dressing. Um, again, obviously, that's going to recover you from days. Um, they can remove the days token and one damage from them. Uh, he's one of those ones that might, you know, he, Killmonger might come in and beat the living snot out of him because Corvus might be, Corvus is like an ideal Killmonger target, right? Um, so he might come in, beat the living snot out of him, and then uh, you might have to field dressing him back up. So I do agree with you. Corvus takes some work to do. I think if we were going to rank him in tiers, uh, you'd have to put Corvus down a little bit. He pays for kind of the Proxima thing, which we're going to talk more about later, and he requires you to build around him. I don't think Corvus is a model you could drop into any list and expect good results out of. No, I think you're definitely taking him with a plan in mind, and that plan really is controlling priority with Proxima Midnight, like you said. That, for me, is how they fit in. Um, of course, we know from this box that he's part of the Black Order, and the Black Order has um, five characters led by Thanos, but we don't know what any of those do right now, right? So our only plan is taking the two together, which means they're probably going to be your two um, unaffiliated characters in your roster. Yeah, definitely agree. So uh, I think that's a good overview on Corvus. Do we want to jump to the Infinity Gem right now, or do we want to talk about Proxima? Let's talk about Proxima, then let's get to the cards. We could do it in either order, but Proxima is almost more important for Corvus than the Infinity Gem is. Sounds great. So Proxima Midnight, she um, is a three-threat character. She has five health on either side and is a long mover. She also has three in all of her defenses. Uh, her strike is identical to um, Corvus's. It's five dice physical with a wild pierce. Her spear throw is range three, five dice energy for zero cost. It has two effects. The first is after the attack is resolved, you can place, well, you have to place her within range one of her target. And the second is wild poison. Um, her final attack is Quantum Starburst. This is a big energy spender, and it's a really cool one. I like it a lot. It's range four, six dice for four power, and if the attack deals damage, after the attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed, poison, and stun special conditions. That all? Just that? Just those conditions? Just those. So I think this is the first character we've seen with poison, and she's got it in two different places, on her spear throw and on her Quantum Starburst. 
It is. And for those of you who don't know, Poison uh, is the character loses one power during the power phase, uh, which is a very uh, interesting and debilitating effect. Yeah. And note that she also causes stun. Uh, and that's a really good combination for draining characters, right? They lose power and they have a hard time gaining power from external sources. Um, so very, very good for targeting characters who want to have a big bank of power and can spend their power really effectively. Absolutely. I'm just looking something up real quickly. I believe, yes, and I'm correct. So at the beginning of the power phase, you gain the one power and then you regards then, excuse me, and then you're going to resolve any effects after the fact. So you're going to gain your power and then you're going to drain the power because of poison. Atomic Mass Games has been very clean with their timing. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't any loophole where you could lose power you don't have first, like trigger the poison, if that makes sense, uh, and then gain your power up. So. No, it's going to functionally stop you from getting the power that you would otherwise get in the power phase. Um, then she's got three superpowers. Her first reactive power is uh, Martial Prowess. This is the same as on Gamora. It's a two-cost power, and it triggers when the character is targeted by an attack within range two. Um, and what it does is it lets her roll five defense dice instead of her usual three. Um, and if she suffers no damage from the attack, when the attack is resolved, the attacker suffers two damage. Uh, this is a really cool power. Uh, I wanted to just call out, I don't know if you saw this, TT, but uh, AMG actually clarified on their Facebook page about this power recently because a question came up about it. Did you see that? I did see that, and they talked about how they were going to add it to the FAQ. But Pat, why don't you go ahead and run through, or run through it right now so people know what you're talking about? Cool. I'm glad it's going to be in the FAQ. I didn't see that bit. Um, but the point here is, I thought there was a really awesome combo with Martial Prowess and Bodyguard uh, and other similar effects like on Team Tactics cards, where um, because of the order that things happen in the game, if you target Proxima Midnight, um, you can choose to do multiple things that react to that target. Uh, you could Martial Prowess and then you could Bodyguard. You've triggered Martial Prowess, then the attack goes to the Bodyguard, the Bodyguard takes the damage, and then Proxima Midnight hasn't suffered any damage. Uh, but the key point here that was ruled by AMG is if that happens, then the attacker does not suffer the two damage from martial prowess. Um, it's tied to her actually rolling the defense dice. If she doesn't roll the dice, she's not going to do any damage with the effect. Yeah, so I think I said, uh, I understand why it looked like a great combo, uh, but I think good on Atomic Mass Games for getting out ahead of that early. And like I said, uh, the post I saw on Facebook said they would be adding it to the FAQ. I think they actually said it's a good candidate for inclusion in the FAQ. So hopefully they add it to the FAQ. Uh, but yeah, so, so what do we think of Proxima? Oh, we're not even through her all the way yet, are we? No, we've got, once again, we've got her best two powers, the same best two powers as Corvus Glaive. We've got wife of Corvus Glaive, which is just like husband of Proxima Midnight. Um, if she's within range four of Corvus Glaive and he's not activated at the end of her activation, uh, then you can activate Corvus. And she has invincibility, uh, which is exactly the same as the glaive, exactly the same as um, Iron Man. It is whenever she would suffer damage from enemy effect, you may reduce the amount by one to a minimum of one. Yeah, so coming in at three threats, she feels uh, very powerful, right? She's, she's a good character. She still doesn't have those things Corvus has, right? We. I'm going to mark her down a little bit for not having a charge and not having a throw, right? She has no way to interact with terrain. She has no way to help herself get up the board, right? Well, she has one way to help herself get up the board, which is she's got 
spear throw, right? Which is at range three, she places herself within range one of her target. So if she can get to within range three, she can move a bit faster. But that's definitely not great. It's not as effective as a charge would be. But it is zero power, and you'll probably find that she ends up using it early on in the game uh, to make herself more relevant in later turns. Yep, in my couple, because I only have a handful of games with them, uh, I only a handful of proxy games with Proxima. Um, for me, a lot of times she had to advance to get the throw. So again, I was placing myself for future turns. Um, and we'll kind of talk about the value of that with Wife of Corvus Glaive. But yeah, just her and Corvus to me were both double moving or move and attack maybe off Proxima in round one. But a lot of times I feel like any KG opponent's going to stay out of that range. Yeah, I mean, she is a long mover. And if she goes near the end of your turn in round one, she might be able to do a single move and a throw. Um, and that will work nicely with your plan to activate the pair of them quickly and uh, early in the second turn. Um, but yeah, she's she's moderately mobile, right? She's got a, a, an L move, but no great way of getting extra distance. And just like Corva, she's vulnerable to terrain. Yeah, absolutely. The long move, but being vulnerable to vulnerable to terrain is kind of where it's like it can be great uh but you definitely need to be conscious of where she's going to go and especially where you're going to deploy in the early parts of the game yeah on top of that her attacks are quite similar to corvus and so is her stat line like she's got three 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 defenses and minus one damage just like he does he's got one more hit point so he's a bit tougher but there's not much in it um their strikes are the same he's got access to death blow so his can be better situationally um, and then uh, while he's doing, sorry, I said death blow, I meant Glaive's Edge. And then when he's doing death blow uh, for mega damage, she's doing quantum starburst for lots and lots of effects. So he is a better all out damage dealer and she has a bit more of a control element to her. So I also think it's no surprise that the two characters have so many things in common. It's intentional, right, with their design. They're supposed to look similar. Their husband and wife, they are supposed to have similar effects. And you're meant to say, oh yeah, those two are a pair, they work together. Um, and in some ways, the fact they're so similar is perhaps a little bit of a detriment because you want to take them together. And this is a bit of a generalization. Maybe it's not always true, but I find that when I'm putting together my teams, I tend to want to take characters that have different complementary abilities. Um, and these two, I just want to call out, they don't complement each other very well, aside from the fact they have this incredible husband and wife synergy. I, I get what you're saying there. And uh, the only thing I'll say onto that is, and, and you blipped over it, but I really, 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 really love uh, Proxima's status bag, uh, if that mm. makes sense. I really love the soft control of stun combined with uh, poison. Um, mm -hmm. if anyone wants to talk about the Hulk, you know, I love the Hulk. The Hulk literally doesn't power up if he has stun and poison on him, right? Um, I like the idea, right? Corvus is just, just hands down this physical beater. Um, I do like the Proxima at least is coming in with another energy, uh, excuse me, with energy being her primary outside of her base strike. I think the ability to get stun out there before Corvus goes in and really starts wailing on people might be beneficial. But yeah, I get what you're saying. We're taking two very, they're, they're not synergizing so much as it's duplicity. And basically, in my mind, at least, because now we're kind of talking about the link ability, we're really looking at, can this alpha strike from the two of them be enough to kind of swing the tide for you, right? And kind of carry you mm -hmm. through something. Because essentially, in my mind, with the link, what we're doing is we're just, we're blitzing a whole lot of damage out there and conditions uh, in the very beginning of a turn. 
excuse me, the very beginning of a round, and we're seeing if your opponent can recover from it. Yes. Um, lots and lots of damaging conditions, but not very easy to apply. I suppose one other thing they've got going for them that is a little bit complimentary is just the fact that both of them are so tough. Like, I think Iron Man, in my experience, is one of the toughest characters in the game. He's tougher than most four threat characters. He's way up there. He's incredibly hard to take down with a single activation. Um, and having two new characters that both have the same defensive ability that will commonly be played together, I think they're going to be a lot tougher on the table than the, they might look on paper. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Uh, invincibility is that weird one to quantify. I know Jacob's talked about this in the Discord a lot. We've all kind of talked about it. Um, it's a weird defensive ability to rank up, right? But but I do agree that they are going to be sticky characters. Um, they're going to be very mm -hmm. interesting to come across. Uh, they don't want anything to do with seeing Shuri across the table from them. Uh, but but they're very strong characters. I am very 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 excited to play them um and uh are we talking about non-synergistic are we talking about <laughs> synergistic cards that didn't come in their box yet or where do we want to go um let's talk about the other things in the box and then we'll we'll summarize so sure i did have a question real quickly pat um mm -hmm. it's a rabbit hole i know you, i know i'm sorry ahead of time uh so ooh, wife ooh, of corvus slaves, husband of corvus slaves we've talked about right they're very they're very similar characters right my wife and i mm -hmm. are not similar characters we would not have the same abilities <laughs> at all. <laughs> I know that you're in a long-term relationship now. Would you and the girlfriend have similar abilities? Would you both have invincibility? Because like I'd have make an amorphous <laughs> mess and not think about things, and the wife would have like OCD cleaning and organization. And while those balance out to like entropy in real life, they're definitely not duplicity. No, so definitely I see where you're coming from. And it's not the case, I think, in Marvel. Couples in general, there aren't that many of them, but the ones that exist don't have to be similar. So the one that springs to my mind immediately is like Vision Scarlet Witch is a really famous Marvel couple, and those characters are completely different. But I think in this case, what Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight, what's happening to them is they're suffering from being characters that aren't especially well fleshed out. You know, like you said at the start, you had to call out, oh, these characters actually are in the films, right? This is something that they're in two films, right? They're in um, both part, both installments of Endgame. Um, and, oh, sorry, Infinity War, I should say. Infinity War and Endgame. And, like, most people won't even notice that. And so I think it's part of, actually, the rules. One of the things that's really cool about Marvel Crisis Protocol is the character cards in a relatively small amount of text do a really good job of giving the characters their identity. And I think this is a deliberate point on the, by the game designers to try and give extra identity to characters who don't have a lot, and especially who aren't well-known by the audience. No, I definitely agree with you there. And then uh, in a very early episode of Across the Bifrost, maybe episode three, Greg Webster from Recalibration Matrix comes on, and we actually talk a little bit about the back history of Corvus and Proxima, where you can kind of mm -hmm. hear more about them. I actually really like them. They have some great story arcs. Uh, but yeah, just wanted to point out that like my wife and I, we're, we're not similar characters. We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have the same superpowers if we were to be made into the Marvel Crisis Protocol world. <laughs> Fair. All right. So I think next up is the time jam. Is that right, Pat? Yeah. So the time jam. Uh, time jam is pretty cool. Um, it's pretty simple. It follows the core rules for 
all of the Infinity Gems. So just a reminder of what that means. It means first up, um, characters can only have one Infinity Gem. Uh, notice that Corvus Glaive has access to two different ones, Reality and Time. He'll only be taking one of those in any given game. Uh, secondly, they take up spots in your roster. We've talked about that in the past. I'm just going to gloss over it here. And then thirdly, they cost threat, and you add that to the character. So the time gem is threat two. That's real expensive. And it gives you access to um, the power time gem, which costs two power, and says this character may perform an additional action this activation. This superpower may be used only once per turn. So you're paying two threat, you're paying two power, and you're getting a third activation a turn with Corvus Glaive. Now, he's always going to have enough power to use this in theory because he generates his one power per turn plus the one for the gem. Um, what do we think of this? If we thought he was slightly overpriced at four points, I shudder to think what you think of him at six threat. Uh, that <laughs> is There's no much threat! That's ridiculous! That's what I think of it. Oh my gosh! Um, it's, it's a, first of all, it's a big threat number is what I will say. Yeah. Uh, you can live the dream or live memes as you kids like to say of just like triple death blow activation. Every one of them gets a flurry. You're always within a short move and another swing of someone else. And you just like annihilate your opponent's side. So you can live that dream, which will almost never happen on the tabletop. But I, I, I hope for it. I pray for it. Uh, but that, that is a lot of um so <laughs> uh that's nine points essentially for corvus with the glaive and proxima uh plus the time gem and i think it's actually really important to say this and i didn't say this before i would never consider taking corvus without proxima i might consider taking proxima without corvus but i really look at them we kind of did this when we talked about rocket and groot and these two are way more linked than i'll ever consider rocket and groot to be personal mm-hmm. definitely agree they are much more linked i really like proxima as an independent character mainly because she is really fast and she's tough. We talked um, in our episode on Crisis um, how being a character that moves very quickly and is very tough makes you really, really good for holding extracts. She's one of those characters that can race to the opponent's side of the table early in the first turn and take their own extracts from under their noses. And this is where invincibility really, really shines because it reduces damage by one. Um, and in the early turns of the game, basically turn one, you're only really going to get attacked by zero cost attacks. They tend to be around four to five damage. And that's where invincibility is awesome because they're not going to do huge spikes of damage. They're very likely to do somewhere between one to three damage. And reducing that by one is a huge percentage of the damage that you're reducing. And those powers tend to give you power back for damage they do, and invincibility stops that as well. So she's very good for just running up, taking an objective, and then running back to the lines, getting healed up by a buddy or something like that. Um, and I think she's got a, an obvious place in a team. I think she does something you want on her own merits. But I think Corvus, he's just a bit of an all-round bruiser, and I don't really see why I would want to take him without her. That's a good point, and I have taken Proxima and Black Panther in an Avengers game, believe it or not. Mm. And the general idea was exactly what you said, where I want the two of them to shoot up 
grab stuff and be like, you know, I have semi-tanky characters out here. Um, how are you going to handle them? Um, I don't like Corvus and Black Panther together. Uh, I feel like then I'm really hampered by terrain. I could see you using Prox. Excuse me. I don't like Proxima and Black Panther together. I could see you using Proxima as a poor uh, person's Black Panther. Uh, but I love Black Panther so much. But that that is a good point. I guess I hadn't considered that. She 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 definitely could be utilized in that way. So yeah, I definitely see her being taken way more solo than I see Corvus being taken. Uh, but to come back to the time gym, man, that's a lot of points. Um, yep. That's a lot. And especially like they just announced Nebula, who's a pretty awesome two threat character. And whenever I look at the time gym, I'm really curious. You know, I'm curious what Dr. Strange does with it. I assume he'll be able to use the time gem. I assume Thanos is going to be able to use the time gem. So for other characters, it might be more valid. Uh, but I don't really like the time gem on Corvus personally. Yeah, and I think the main reason I don't like it is he is a four threat character. Time Gem is increasing his cost by 50% to give him 50% more activations, but it doesn't give him more resilience. So he's basically increasing his cost to get about the amount of offensive ab ability and mobility you'd expect. But he just, he's so vulnerable for a six threat character, you know? He's just not tough enough. Yeah, when I was looking at it and in the games I've played with him, I, for me personally, I was basically paying two threat and two power to perform a charge that doesn't have an attack at the end of it, right? Uh, that, that's there to perform a free movement, right? Because that's what I was using it for Corvus for. It let me move Corvus and then double attack off his normal, normal uh, ability stack. So it, it's a high price to pay. Uh, we're going to talk about some like cute niche lists later on where where I I have used it, uh, but six points is a lot. Like that's that's a lot. That's a lot of the points. A lot of threat. Sorry, I always call them points, but yeah, yeah, it's too many threat in my opinion. Um, I like the ability a lot. I think it's incredibly cool. Like you said, it might turn out to be amazing with other characters, but with Corvus, I'm not convinced. Maybe you can make a game plan where you protect him and you could exploit the fact he does massive damage and has three actions. But I think just looking at it at face value, it doesn't add up to me. It's not something I'm going to be compelled to take. The other rule that we want to hit on real quickly, because we haven't run into this before, but it's important right now that in the index, uh, or excuse me, the appendix, 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 in the end of the rule book, where they talk about Infinity Gems, they do specifically call out that a character may only have one gem at a time. In the Thanos spoilers we got, uh, they talked about how Thanos could hold multiples, but uh, there's no chance of Corvus holding both the reality and the time gem at the same time. I just wanted to point that out. It's kind of important, so uh, he can't be, you know, 10 threat unless the reality gem is 4 threat by itself, so. Just wanted to mention that Infinity Gem, an expensive option, but it is an option. Uh, so what other cards are coming in this box, Pat? So in this box, we have three Team Tactics cards, which is a very generous amount. We don't normally get three. Um, and they're really cool, but they're also very specific, right? We get a card that only works for Corvus and Proxima, and then we get two cards that are Black Order specific. So it's giving us a taste of things to come when we see more of the Black Order and put their teams together. Uh, for now, we can only use the card uh, that pairs them together, and it's called Execute. Oh, am I reading the card? Okay. Yeah, Execute. Yeah, you read the card. Unaffiliated 
<laughs> reactive. Uh, when Corvus Glaive targets an enemy character with an attack that is within range one of an allied Proxima Midnight, or when Proxima Midnight targets an enemy character with an attack that is within one of an allied Corvus Glaive, both characters may spend two to play this card. So we're talking about four power, and then the character needs to be within one of the non-active characters. Um, the enemy character rolls no defense dice during this attack. So this card is really cool. Um, it further emphasizes that you want to be playing the two characters together and close together. And it's interesting because you kind of want to be doing that anyway. So that restriction, although it is quite meaningful, is probably not going to stop you from taking the card if you like the card. because your plan is going to be that they're on the same side of the table beating people up at close range. Having said that, it's still a high price to pay. The positioning requirement to have both characters in range one of the target is really steep. It's offset a bit by the fact Proxima can move with her spear throw to within range one. Um, so you can maybe set that up, then Corvus can come in and perform an execute. Um, but it's still tough. And then on top of that, they're spending two power each, so you're spending four power to use this. It's a really high price to pay. Do you think it's worth it? No, uh, I do want to point out that it only needs to be within one of the of one of the characters, right? It just needs to be an attack range of the other, right? Corvus needs a target within range, and then that target also has to be within one of Proxima or vice versa. So you don't Apologies, have to be within range. You're right. Yeah. So Proxima's spear throw that is. Is doubly good, right? Because she can spear throw in, put herself within range one, and Corvus can come in with his range three power spender and execute for mega damage. Yeah, um, I I don't think it's worth it personally. We, I am very critical. We both are of Team Taxes cards with too many restrictions on them. I am excited to see how many black, how many black, excuse me, how many. Black Order or pseudo-Black Order cards there are. I'm going to call this a pseudo-Black Order card. But Execute to me isn't too impressive. I do love the art of them both attacking Hulk, but then my brain went, why would you ever use this on Hulk? It only has two defenses. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, I will say that I think it's a card that you might include in your eight, especially if you're uh, running the... Well, obviously, only if you're running the two characters, but especially if you're playing single affiliation and you have a bit more flexibility. Um, just because it's a very good answer to specific problem characters, and namely characters with really good defense dice who are also good at modifying dice. The best example being Captain America. You know, Captain America, when he's injured, with his shield up, rolling six dice and counting blanks, is incredibly resilient. And removing that with execute is a huge amount of extra damage on your average attack. Yeah, as an Avengers player, I don't want to see you doing that. But uh, this couple could actually battle the other couple in the Marvel Crisis Protocol universe very well. That other couple being Bucky Barnes and Captain America. Um, if you are playing against till the end of the line, this is a fantastic way to punch through Cap in a center scenario with till the end of the lineup. So I guess you definitely could see it in eight. I think I would call this like a meta dependent choice um, if that's prevalent in the local area you're playing at. Uh, so it definitely could be used. And it's nice to have in the bag. I think this card could be very, very valuable in the future as we see more characters like Captain America be created or kind of evolved, if that makes sense. Yes, I think it's a, a good card to have access to. Um, you won't play it in every game, but there'll be times where it really shines. 
yeah, I think I think that is a great assessment. Uh, so the next card in the pack, I believe, is Blood to Spare. So what does that do, Pat? My turn to read. Blood to Spare is Black Order affiliated card. It's reactive. Uh, and it says, when a Black Order character would be dazed by an enemy effect, it may spend three power to play this card. The character immediately performs an attack before gaining the dazed token. If this attack results in the character removing damage, it is not dazed. So this seems quite simple on the surface, but I think there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, uh, so right off the bat, I want to say that right now, the only Black Order characters we have are Proxima Ignite and Corvus Glaive. Neither one of them can innately heal off of a swing. I think that's important to go over. I think there might be some foreshadowing, uh, but again, not to be speculatory, um, I really, really like this card. Mm. Uh, I really like it too. I think it's really good for a couple of reasons. This might be obvious to some listeners, but in case it's not, the fact that it triggers when you're dazed means it's very likely to be relevant at the time it triggers. And what I mean by that is some reactive cards look really great, but then you realize you play them on the table and this opportunity to use them just doesn't come up. But your character in this situation will be within the attack range of at least one enemy who has dazed them. Now, obviously, you don't know what that attack range is going to be, but chances are that means you're more likely to be in range to attack back. and you're very likely to have enough power to use this card because you've just been dazed. So you've probably taken a bunch of damage, which gives you a bunch of power. So I think the opportunity to use this is going to be very frequent. Um, and then the other thing I want to call out, because it's different to some effects that we've seen in the game already, is this lets you make any attack. Uh, it's not like Wakanda Forever, where it has to be a zero power costing attack. If you have lots of power, you can pay three to use this card and then pay more power on top to use one of your more powerful effects. So you already mentioned it, but there's no way for Proxima or Corvus to heal on their cards with this attack. Uh, am I also right in thinking that there's no other team tactics cards or character effects that would give them a way to heal right now? None that I can think of. Uh, like I said, obviously, I don't want to be speculative. There could be more stuff coming down the pipe in the future. I'm interested to see what the rest of the Black Order brings to the table, but I can't think of a way right now for them to trigger a heal, even when I consider all the different objectives they can hold on to. Yeah. So that's something to look out for in the future. And maybe to this is the kind of card that might become better over time as the game develops. There might be more synergies that might impact it. Um, the other thing I wanted to call out um, is. This gives you a niche but interesting interaction against a character making an area or beam attack. Uh, if they're hitting two of your Black Order characters, then they, when they resolve against the first one, if it dazes them, you could choose to use this card. Um, and if you daze or KO that character, then they won't get to perform the attack against um, the other characters that are being affected by the beam or the area. So that's quite cool and will sometimes come up. It'll be interesting to see how it's used. Um, I do like it, though, um, especially what Pat said. Like, it's you will have lots of opportunities to trigger this. The only thing I want to circle up and just remind everyone of, like, it's only dazed. You can't use this on a KO. Yeah. So that is important to recognize, and it does limit the windows of use a little bit. Um, you're probably going to be using it earlier in the game. Um, 
but hey, I think it's really cool. And I could see taking it, um, if I'm playing Black Order, I'm probably going to include it in my eight cards, at least going, at least initially to see how well it performs, but it seems strong. I agree. Definitely seems strong. Uh, I, 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 it's more powerful than execute in my mind. Uh, or, well, more powerful is not the right word. Uh, it has more opportunities to be used and is easier to use than execute. I could more readily see me fitting it into my eight. Yeah, I suppose one other thing I wanted to mention about it is one of the reasons I think it's really good is that one of the cornerstone strategies that I think players use in this game is when it comes to activating characters, you activate characters that have taken lots of damage before your opponent could target them and you target characters that are high on power and low on health so that you can daze them before they get to activate right denying them their action and in those kinds of very common um targeting choices this card is incredible because if i activate my low health character and hit your low health character well, then you're going to daze me in retaliation using blood to spare. And that ruins this strategy, right? And it might force me to completely change my target priority. No, I think that's very prudent and definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah. So the last card um, is Price of Failure. And this card is another Black Order affiliated card. It's an active card. And it says... Choose an injured allied character to play this card. Other allied characters gain three power. The chosen character is KO'd. So before delving into this card, I wanted to call out, because I see this commonly misinterpreted on Facebook, please remember, injured does not mean a character who's taken damage. It means a character whose card is flipped to the injured side. So you start off healthy, you become dazed, then you become injured, and then you become KO'd. No, important to point out. I'm also really excited that you read Price of Failure. It was my turn to read a character's card. You just jumped in there, so I'm super excited about that. We disagreed a little bit off air about the power level of this card. So, Pat, what do you think in general of Price of Failure? I am high on this card. I feel like someone who's like speculating now on stocks because we're talking about this <laughs> card, and I've never played with it, right? We haven't got the opportunity yet because Black Order aren't out. But I think it seems great. And I know, TT, you're bit less in favor of it is that fair to say to me yeah it just has more restrictions about when we could use it right we have to have an injured ally character uh, and then uh, which, which is going to happen i fully acknowledge that at some stage we're going to have an injured ally character but we have to have an injured ally character that i'm willing to ko uh, so to me like i'm fine acknowledging the ko i'm fine taking wounds on myself so to speak to progress the army uh, but to me, there are some restrictions in when I actually want to use this to the point where I'm just not sure yet. Yeah, so I think you're right that the cost is incredibly steep, right? KOing a character is a big deal. You lose their effects and activation for the rest of the game. On the other hand, this card has no other cost to pay. Um, and it's giving every other character on your team three power, which potentially is a huge amount of extra power. Right, presumably somewhere between six to twelve, maybe really optimistically fifteen. If you're running some sort of team with lots of cheap characters, you're you're hoping to get a lot of power, which you're then going to convert into attack superpowers to 
hopefully do more damage to your opponent than you inflicted on yourself. Pat, I have a confession to make. What's your I confession? have played two games with this card in proxy form. <gasps> I just realized about 60 seconds ago that it's all other allied characters gain three, not a single other allied character. I like the card a lot more now. I agree with your initial assessment. <laughs> oh my gosh, you thought it was clear a character to get three power? Sure yeah. did. I agree, that's not very good. But this right, is that's where my assessment was coming from. <laughs> Your assessment's a lot better. If you actually yeah. play the card as written, it's a lot better. I like this card a lot. I'm going to take this card all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. And I want to call out, this is a Black Order card, but it's any allied character, not affiliated character, that you can KO. And it's all allied characters getting power, not affiliated characters. Yeah, we're so, definitely killing Nebula after she does her work. Yeah, this seems amazing. Right? Right? So, exactly. So, if you've got, like, a cheap two-cost character, um, they get dazed, then maybe you do want to sacrifice them to give a huge amount of power to everyone else in your team um, before they all activate. You know? This could be incredible. Um, it's a high-risk, high-reward card, uh, but I think it's good. And then, on top of that, it has some really amazing synergies with existing characters. Um, the one that I think is the most powerful, although it might be a little bit hard to get use out of, is the synergy with Age of Ultron, where um, this card and Age of Ultron work perfectly together so that if I have Ultron who is injured, I can play this card, I will KO Ultron um, and give every other character three power. And then if I have eight power on Ultron, I can play Age of Ultron and bring him back to his healthy side, place him, and remove an activation token from him. Yeah, that's a lot of power going right there. Uh, it is a lot of tactics cards. Uh, but yeah, three power to the entire team. I definitely think that's worthwhile considering. And Ultron's a character that we like anyway, right? Yes, and I would, I think it's the kind of ability that I would really, I want to try it. I'm keen. And I think I would be willing to pay the price of taking two team tactics cards to make this combo work because it's so strong. Um, and I think worst case scenario, it makes Ultron functionally immune to being attacked. <laughs> and that might also be worth two tactics cards, depending on the scenario or the situation. I, I actually agree with you there. You, you explain what you're going to do to your opponent at the beginning of the game. And then Ultron basically gets a hall pass and he just like walks wherever he wants. And unless he has some critical objective on him, he's not going to be attacked. Yes. Um, and there's also, I mean, this is pretty corner case, but remember you can, there are ways to damage your own characters. So if you need to, you can set this up where Ultron goes around firing energy beams until he's high on power. And then if your opponent's not obliging enough to flip him to injured, then you can hit him with a couple <laughs> of beams for damage or throw him at things. You know, he's a size three character. If you could throw him, he does good damage to the opponent. It's very hard to throw your own characters, but... You can throw things at him. You know, there's things that you can do <laughs> to take that damage and force the power gain and force the uh, the flip back to healthy with uh, his activation token removed. Yeah, it's a lot of friendly area of beam attacks, but eventually Ultron will get flipped, albeit without a lot of uh, uh, power. Uh, but yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, it, uh, it's, more like, <laughs> it's more like if you need to trigger this and it's turn five and they've refused to do the last couple of points on Ultron. You know, it might surprise them when they realize, oh, actually, that's fair. That's fair. they'll trigger this card. 
And then obviously, if you're going to be playing that, I, I might also consider some of the damaging uh, scenario elements as well there, just so you can kind of put the clock on yourself. Uh, there, there's, there are, like, there, like Pat said, there are lots of ways to hurt Ultron if your opponent isn't willing to oblige. Uh, are there other characters mm -hmm. that you thought of with immediate synergies here, Pat? Yeah, so I think Hela does a similar thing. Um, this ability also works with her ability where she can spend her soul tokens to not be KO'd. So if she has soul tokens, you could use Price of Failure to functionally convert her three soul tokens into three power for every other team member. That seems incredible. Right? What a good use of three soul tokens. What a good use of a card to give every other team member three power. Um, and um, I think those are the only two characters that have immediate ways to save themselves from being KO'd. Uh, but did you see any other cards that you liked that might work? I did see something circulating on Facebook that doesn't work. And that is if you black or excuse me, if you uh, price of failure, your own model, the winter soldier does not get to make a range attack. He only makes the attack of the enemy KOs someone. Uh, so normally I wouldn't call that out, but like I said, I've seen that in multiple Facebook posts. I want to be sure people aren't getting the wrong idea there. I can't think of any other immediate uh, synergies with it as far as like being able to quote unquote resurrect yourself. Uh, but I definitely think there are probably some more uh, coming in the future. Um, and mm -hmm. I, and I now knowing that you get way more than three power, I think this card's real strong. You should play this all the yeah. time. I'm excited to see what other black order cards they have because they have quite a few already they functionally have three already and we haven't even seen their leader or their mm -hmm. you know uh super card character so packs yeah yeah maybe yeah, black order sure. is their super card who knows uh i'm excited though i i it looks really good yeah i agree um a couple of other things i think that's worth mentioning with price of failure uh we mentioned this before the start of the pod but um just to remind you tt you told me so i'm giving you credit here that this card uh, is the second card, along with Mission Objective, that lets you move um, extract tokens from one character to another, right? If you've got an injured character holding an important extract, like the scroll, um, in your turn, you can KO them so that another character can run along and pick up that token, which potentially could be a game-winning play if that character would otherwise be KO'd by the opponent and they would take it instead. No, that's a good point. I can't believe I forgot my own point. But yeah, it's definitely a great way to get something onto an Ultron or to someone else that isn't as mobile or quick uh, that your opponent doesn't want to attack, right? After you send out Proxima to grab that scroll, she can bring it back. After she's kind of served her purpose, she dies, you know, drops the scroll somewhere you can control. You pick it up with Ultron. So there's definitely some synergy there. It and Mission Objective, like Pat said, are the only ways you can currently kind of control the dropping of your own scenario. And don't get me wrong, your opponent still places it in range, but it's dropped in your turn, so you should be able to. Cool. So we've now talked about all of the cards that came in this box, both the character cards, the Infinity Gem, and the three tactics cards. Um, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about a few other synergies or cool things that you'd noticed. Where do you want to start? I don't know if it's a cool thing so much as it's a dream, but I have done this in one of my proxy games. Everyone that listens to the pod knows that I love Doomed Prophecy, and I really, mm. really like the prophecy on Corvus Glaive. Uh, so Doomed Prophecy, for those of you who don't remember, um, this was FAQ'd or ratted to work a little bit differently, but essentially at the start of the activation phase, an allied character may spend three power to play this card. The character cannot roll defense dice against physical attacks, like for the rest of time. Um, additionally, this character adds its uh, 
physical defense dice to its physical attacks uh, for the round. Uh, the reason I like this is this really lets you kind of live the dream of Corvus of 10 dice death blows followed by 8 dice strikes as he just kind of mulches through your opponent's army. That is a huge amount of damage, right? I suppose if you're trying to live the ultimate dream, then you're also combining that with the time gem and you have enough targets and you're generating enough power from your strikes to just do, to like take out, you're surrounded by like six characters and you take them all out in a single activation. Yeah, I mean, that's the dream, right? Is just to, you just kind of mulch through things. You pick up a ton of models. It, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> you, can, you could live the dream, like you said, and KO six characters that turn. Uh, not to mention, Proxima's going to activate right afterwards, and she's going to pick up the scenario in which they drop her, finish anyone off, right? There's, there's a lot of potential there. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if it's realistic, uh, but, but I, I like it. I love Doom Prophecy. And then, you know, after they kind of beat up on Corvus a little bit, you know, we've got um, Field Dressing in the bag to restore him again, and then he can kind of blend her again, since hopefully we're doing this on his healthy side. Or we end up just, you know, price of failuring him. You know, he, he did what he came to do. I'm going to price of failure my sixth threat character. No big deal, but I'm going to get a lot of power <laughs> and hopefully finish you off after that. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a few things that make Corvus Glaive especially good with Doom Prophecy. I like that. His Glaive of Immortality gives him some measure of defense against physical attacks, even though he's not rolling dice. Like for him, his defense dice are probably half of the damage he's mitigating, and his Glaive is the other half. So he's only losing half of the damage mitigation compared to every other character losing the full amount. Um, so that's really cool. Like he's not defenseless after you've played this, and he probably converts the most damage in the optimal situation, or he's one of those characters that converts the most, like you said. So that seems great. Um, I also like what you mentioned about how if you do just have him and Proxima together, then there's probably a legitimate strategy where they blend everything on their side of the table and then don't worry that he's a bit easier to hurt after that because there's no one left to stop him. Yeah, I mean, odds are you're not going to have priority the following round, and if you did, something horrible has gone wrong anyway. But like you said, there's all sorts of ways to triage that right now. I just really like the raw potential damage output you could do with the Doom Prophecy on top of Corvus, or on top of Corvus with the Time Gem. So yes. are there other cards or synergies that you really like the look of? So I also just wanted to call out that I really like what you said about Price of Failure with Doom Prophecy. So uh, that was a synergy I was going to mention, and you already essentially mentioned it, but I'll give you credit again. Uh, it's really cool to get huge amounts of power out of a character and then create this damned if you do, damned if you don't situation with your opponent where your the price you're paying is your character is now really easy to daze. But if they daze them, then you're going to pay price of failure and uh, your other characters are also going to have really powerful activations. I think this affiliation could have some incredibly explosive damage potential. Yeah, the other thing I'll add to this, and uh, I don't know if you were going to mention this, sorry, if you were to steal your thunder, with that amount of dice, it's not unreasonable to think that Corvus could end up with a lot of power on him at the end of an activation, right? Mm-hmm. And if you Definitely. wanted to be like all in on this strategy, I think it's reasonable to be able to cast, follow, not cast, but play follow me. Uh, at mm -hmm. the end of Corvus's turn, which would grant you another model activating, so you theoretically could do Corvus, someone else, and Proxima, which is just, that's a mm -hmm. lot. It's just a lot. Okay, so 
here's here's my top level triple A S tier combo that I'm gonna unleash on you, TT. You ready for this? Wow, you sound like a Yu-Gi-Oh player. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, this is legitimately the best combo in Marvel Crisis Protocol, guaranteed. So, wow, you, this is a lot of buildup. You mentioned to me that these two characters are great played together, right? We agreed on that. You want to be playing them together. They want to be next to each other on the table, beating up the same targets. You mentioned to me that these characters are slow and struggle to deal with terrain. And we were saying how that makes their earlier turns bad and it's hard to position them effectively. We also talked about how Proxima at least has L movement, but poor old Corvus Glaive is really slow. How do we feel about rocket boots plus drop-off? Proxima Midnight straps on rocket boots, takes a long move carrying Corvus Glaive, he recoups that power with his five-dice strike, and then they're ready to rock straight away. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Walk me through this, sir. Okay, okay. So we've got Doomed Prophecy. We've got Price for Failure. We've got Rocket Boots. <laughs> we've got Drop Off, right? Is that what you're telling me? We've, yeah. got, we've got four cards picked already. Uh, well, in, yeah, this, I mean, in I this dream scenario, like, we, don't get me wrong, we're going to play Price of Failure on Ultron because we're also taking Age of Ultron, but we're probably also <laughs> taking. <laughs> Okay, okay. So Wait, we have are no we more teams to that many cards. <laughs> uh, I think we're still at five. <laughs> so I think this is still legal. Um, I, love, I love the fact that you mentioned Rocket Boots. It's a card that I normally don't consider. Um, drop off with. And we're dropping off Corvus? Yeah, so they are both going right next to each other, enabling Execute. <laughs> Corvus is a character who's not especially good to drop off, but he's not bad, right? Because he's got a good attack if you can get in range. And well, his strike is a lot better if Doom Prophecy is out there, right? So he's going to get an eight dice strike swing off of drop off. Yeah. So the drop off being a long move plus a place is quite close to him doing a double move action in terms of how far it moves. It's certainly way better than his normal M move. It's, uh, yeah, agree to that. And theoretically, Corvus could make seven attacks in a turn if we count drop off, right? Uh, yes. Yes. He's going to struggle to do that at any reasonable point in the game. Like, <laughs> if he's <laughs> trying to power. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that theory is a bit, yeah, okay, in theory he could. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, now, now you're just getting crazy. But the, the rocket boots plan, now that's gold. Because it also helps you with <laughs> right? Your you, Rube Goldberg you machine is gold. Mine is, mine is rubbish. Okay, I got yes, it. Yes, because mine is a play you can, you can implement on turn one without any interaction from your opponent. It lets you overcome multiple weaknesses, right? It lets you overcome terrain. It lets you overcome the fact that Corvus is incredibly slow. Um, but it also lets you continue to play to your strength, which is both those characters being together. And it lets you do something surprising, uh, especially because it enables husband and wife. So Proxima can advance, drop off Corvus, make her attack. Corvus gets his free attack. Then he activates and gets two more attacks. I mean, I am all for getting as many attacks as you can. And yeah, sure. Why not? Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, 
I love I, I I want a new I want a new like a uh, Crisis Day drop off card where it's Proxima with Rocket Boots dropping off Corvus. That's I hope <laughs> Atomic Mass Games. I know they listen to the pod. I hope they they uh, take that into consideration and get that art created. So uh, okay, yeah, that's a that's a combo. I'm not gonna lie, that is a combo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, Pat. Is there anything else we need to talk about with Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight? No, I think we've peaked. Okay, just as a general recap, Pat and I think these characters are super interesting. I really like the kind of the design space they occupy, and I think I speak for both of us when I say we're really excited to see the rest of the Black Order, and uh, that's something that's going to kind of keep us excited and keep us talking about the game uh, during this weird time in the world of the COVID pandemic. Um, so following this, everyone will be able to listen to our after the credit scene. We try to release one of these to the public every month to six weeks. The after the credit scene is normally just a 10 to 15 minute follow up small episode that we do every week. And today we're going to be talking about what we're doing for Marvel Crisis Protocol in lockdown. So we hope that you found this overview of Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight helpful. Um, I'm really excited to see what crazy combos you get. Let's see all those rocket boots out there. Please let us know on Discord, on Facebook, at CO Wargaming, or Pat Dunford or Sung Soo. I'm also on Twitter, at Sung Soo. Let us know there. Uh, again, the Patreon's popping. If you want to support the pod uh, financially, check out Patreon, patreon.com, slash across the Bifrost. If you want to support the pod and you can't quite do it financially, any likes and shares or comments on any social media really helps the listens for the podcast. So thank you all so much for listening. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. Till next time, everyone. Cheers, good health, and happy gaming. Somewhere across the Bifrost Way up high There's a part that I've heard of Once in a lullaby Somewhere across the Skies are blue And the dreams that you dare to dream Really do come true And are you there? I cannot hear you Oh, your doorbell rang. You might want to edit this. You might not. Who knows? Not me. <laughs> I'm back. Uh, sorry about that. I was not ready for my doorbell to ring, especially given the world's current climate. So I had to go see what it was. Uh, so the Who was it? Was it the mailman? No, it's my mother-in-law. So the doorbell rings and my... Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, do you have kids in the house you're living in now? I think you do, right? Yes, yes. Sure. Kids just run mm -hmm. to the door. Two of them. Doesn't matter, right? Who it is, what it is, <laughs> what time it is. When the doorbell rings, there's like, who's that? And they're just like, boom. So I'm like, oh, let's see who's at the door. Massive excitement. <laughs> uh, so I'm assuming, where did you leave off? Were you just ranting about how great, uh, how resilient she was? So I was just, com I was comparing the two of them together. <laughs> and I said, very similar to him. He's a bit better at doing damage. He's a bit better at adding effects. But ultimately, the two characters are very close together. Um, Excuse me. And I, I'm gonna launch back into it now. If you're, if you're ready. Go. I did not see the rocket boots coming. That was left field. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> like to keep you on your toes. 